Welcome back to Beat Seeker. I'm your host, Matt McButter. In each episode, we explore the shifting world of music with world-renowned experts and artists to take you deep, deep inside the fascinating and changing world of music technology and music discovery. And I'm your host, Mike Weider, reminding you to subscribe in Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating if you like the episode. You can visit our website at beatseeker.fm where you'll find plenty of rabbit holes with extra content to dive into, guest backgrounds, and even a playlist with music recommendations from each of our guest episodes. Also, Beatseeker swag. You can stay current and talk to us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at BeatseekerPod. The role of music in video games has been constantly evolving. We started with background music and iconic games like Super Mario Brothers, Zelda, or Tetris. Then games like Guitar Hero, Just Dance, and Grand Theft Auto incorporated hit songs into their gameplay. More recently, we've seen artists performing actual concerts as avatars in game worlds like Fortnite and Roblox. Could the metaverse be the next evolution? Where music can be streamed and concerts reimagined in new paradigms that are immersive, interactive, and literally mind-blowing. To help explain this trend, Inder Full joins us from Los Angeles. Along with music visionaries and artists including Deadmau5 and Richie Houghton, he's the co-founder of Pixel Links, a company that is building what they've dubbed the Musicverse. Inder has worked across music, entertainment, and partnerships for the past 10 years, starting his first agency when he was 21. He's worked with some of the biggest global brands and was selected as the International Music Summit Visionary Winner a global search for the next generation of industry influencer. Ender, thanks for joining us on BeatSeeker. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. So, Ender, last year your company announced a funding round to build a music metaverse that aims to, and I'm going to quote here, transform the way artists connect and engage with their fans through gaming experiences. So, Since this announcement, uh, excitement about the metaverse has only really intensified, uh, you know, thank Thanks in part maybe to uh, to Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> renaming his company Meta. And there's a little bit of uh, excitement around there. And we'd really love to hear your vision for this project. So maybe we could start with your origin story. I understand electronic artists Deadmau5 and Richie Houghton are two of your founders. Maybe you could tell us how the project came together and what exactly it is that you're trying to achieve. Sure. So origin story, that's an interesting one. How far back do I go? Um, (laughs) uh, I I won't go all the way back, but essentially I started my first business um, in my kind of final year of university. And it was more of an exploration of different ideas that I was thinking about. It wasn't so defined as a project. I mean, it started off as a t-shirt brand and then became more of an influencer agency. And then over time became uh, kind of like a brand partnership company that would be working with brands talent and trying to create interesting interactive experiences that would help brands kind of showcase their message in a more meaningful way. And we had this very strong narrative, which was art over ads. So the idea that brands should be supporting art and really leading with that as as a way to to engage, you know, and, and build meaningful communities. So through that process, I was working with you know tons of different artists, different labels, different um, brands as well, of course. And one of the projects that I had launched and, and was kind of, uh, you know, it's one that I was was very excited about was we created a giant synthesizer. So, you know, synthesizer for anyone who doesn't know is a, is a musical instrument, an electronic musical instrument. And we created this synthesizer, which was the size of a car. And it was incredibly easy and simple to use. And we put it in a festival. And, you know, the idea behind it was meant to promote a festival that was coming up that was really focused around live events and live music. And, the, but the really funny takeaway for it for me was I was seeing 
you know, hundreds of people, if not thousands, crowding around this device, wanting to play on it and, you know, all playing together. And whilst arguably some of the most famous DJs were performing, this playable thing was actually attracting so much attention. And it seemed to, you know, spark something inside me where I started to think much more about interactivity and how interactive music experiences could be this really interesting format to experience and explore. And it could teach people about music, but it could also connect people and give them this feeling that music gives musicians when they're making it is, you know, a sense of freedom, a sense of kind of disconnection from, from reality for a moment. So that moment was, it was, you know, incredibly important. And after that, I was, you know, again, thinking about what I'm doing and with my life and running an agency business wasn't that exciting because it's a lot of pitching. You're giving your best ideas all the time to other companies to get paid you know, to, to yeah. deliver it. And it was fine. Um, but I, you know, I knew that the longer term vision was always going to be around technology. And so I actually went to LA for a trip with my wife to basically see whether we wanted to move here. And we just went to kind of feel it out. And on the flight back from LA, I wrote down in a book, um, the foundation of this business idea, which was exploring the connections between music and gaming. And I was like, there's something here, you know, music games, have this cliche idea of what they are with whether it's guitar guitar hero or rhythm based games is a very like um specific idea of what people think a music game is and i thought there's just so much more there you know there there has to be more than the rhythm game idea and so you know multiple explorations over the next few months of refining that idea thinking about digital merchandise thinking about avatars and and this was 2 years ago uh, i was also very into blockchain and you know, so the foundations of this concept were bubbling and I took it to Richie Horton's team who, uh, Ben, his manager and, and our co-founder was, was a mentor of mine and someone that I worked with before. Um, I'd actually won a competition called the IMS Visionaries, which is a, a kind of global competition to support the future um, of the music industry. So they'll pick one winner and kind of give them mentorship. And so Ben was one of my mentors mm. um, and he manages Richie Horton. So I took it to him and said, what do you think about this as an idea? And he was like, yeah, this is super interesting. And, and it, it has potential. Like it, I can see the space moving towards this future. And then COVID happened and it became even more apparent that this was going to be something that would be very relevant for the future of our industry as we saw the live events ecosystem crumble. Um, and so then we took it to Dead Mouse's team as well. And, and again, this is still in the early stages. And they were actually already working on their own game. And Joel Deadmouse, he's a programmer. You know, before being a musician, he, he's originally a programmer. And you can go to his Twitch channel and you'll see videos of him building games. You'll see him building his live setups. Like he's got a project called Oberhausley, um, which is basically like a virtual event space. And it was like the perfect combination of timing and the moment and and we just all aligned on the vision very quickly and, and said this is this is something we're going to build and within three months we went from conversations to a launch business to then raising some seed funding and it all started with this idea of um you know really actually started maybe seven years ago when we put a giant synthesizer in a festival and saw what that experience did for people to connect them and you know make them want to delve into music in a way that they've never delved into Interesting. So, so maybe, um, you know, if we could dive in a little bit more into, you know, what, what is the, what, what is the project? I mean, that's great on a conceptual level, but what, you know, how, how would you define sort of, sure. yeah, what, what it is? 
Yeah, so it's a good question. So, you know, essentially we're building a game. We have two um, platforms that we're launching on. We have a mobile game, which is being launched on the Niantic ARDK. So you can imagine it in its simplest form is um, Pokemon Go, but collecting music NFTs. And so the idea is you explore the world around you and you'll basically discover all of these interesting AR-based experiences that have been created by artists. And so you could unlock a beautiful sonic sculpture that's been created by dead mouse or there may be some sort of giant robot mini game that you might experience which has been launched by daft punk let's just say hypothetically and so the idea is we're using ar and, and this mobile application as a new canvas for artists to start experience um, basically sharing their story around their music and creating a bit of a law around you know a new release and so the idea is yeah essentially you discover the world in the mobile game and you can unlock these playable music experiences that you collect as NFTs, which you can then trade on secondary marketplaces. We then have a desktop game that's coming out um, near the end of the year, and that's connected to the mobile version. Everything you discover in the desk in the mobile application is then usable in the desktop game. So, for example, I could find a dead mouse um, weapon or a vehicle that another artist has released. I found it in the real world as an NFT, and then when I go back to desktop to play, I'm actually using the assets that I discovered in the physical world. So, we've got this music metaverse as this physical. Um, ecosystem of exploring the real world, going to shows, exploring your city. And then we have the actual core game, which is a more virtual world style ecosystem. So again, giving Dead Mouse and other artists the ability to launch their own playable world, and then they can host virtual concerts inside of those worlds and um, monetize them in a number of different ways and host tons of fun ways for them to connect with their community and their fan base. Cool, cool. So uh, you know, just in case, um, you know, listeners missed it, the Neantics Augmented Reality Developer Kit, that's the, the, the tool that you're using. And, and for those that, um, that, that might not follow this too closely, that's, uh, the company that made Pokemon Go probably the, um, the, the, the biggest or most successful augmented reality application kind of dedicated, you know, augmented reality game out there. Um, and so, it would be experienced with a phone, right? Is that, that's all people would need would just be to have their smartphone with them and they're going out there and they're kind of collecting these experiences. And then you and then there's a, an, an interface where you can then go and, you know, connect on your, on your laptop. Is, do I have that that's right? right. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So you discover the real world to unlock these, um, your assets, your in-game assets through, through the mobile phone, uh, in, in AR and then, when you log on to the desktop game, it will just show your whole everything you've collected, and you can then launch your experience. Great, and what? Yeah, that's super cool. And and in uh, virtual reality as well, is there uh, is is there would be, would it be integrated with some kind of VR world as well? Not at this stage. It's something that we are excited about and then exploring. And I think you know we're starting to see the pickup of Oculus and a really you know good level. Um, but you know we we focus more on on kind of the the a traditional format for now. I think VR will come uh, in the future. I was watching the, I don't know if you've seen this uh, Lil Nas X concert on Roblox. Um, there's been a number of artists performing on gaming platforms like Roblox or Fortnite, where I don't know if listeners haven't seen this thing. It's basically imagine, you know, a giant animated Lil Nas X avatar with lots of little players kind of uh, walking around their feet. And so you're kind of in the Roblox world, but the artist is playing a concert in this case. Um, you know, I was wondering what your take was on this and how, you know, do, do you think this qualifies of your definition of the metaverse? How, do, how would you kind of compare and contrast this sort of metaverse music 
you know, platforms that you think will develop uh, in, in the future and which is going to become the sort of predominant means or we can have a, many different ways of interacting with music in the metaverse? Yeah, it's a, it was an, you know, a great experience and, and, and one that, you know, of course, before that we had Travis Scott in Fortnite, which was also a big one. And, um, you know, we did one with Glastonbury in a platform called Sansa and, you know, I think around the same time the Travis Scott one went live. So, you know, there's multiple different ways of people thinking about virtual events in these games. I think the Lil Nas X one was, was executed uh, incredibly well. I heard from a talk that I was listening in on that it made eight figures, which is, you know, of course, from a business perspective, also a very successful um, event. And yeah, I mean, the, the challenge with some of those style of experiences, and then it's not a bad thing, but it's they, they're very expensive. And I think we'll start to see that cost hopefully coming down as these tools become more democratized. But I would, I would definitely consider that to be a metaverse style experience because it almost, you know, we're starting to see this kind of blurring of worlds. You know, that's a it's a it's a live event style experience held within a game engine and and so to me that's a good representation of what the metaverse is today it's like the blurring of different realities and different worlds and experiences that you may not necessarily expect uh, there's multiple definitions of how what people consider a metaverse um i think we could probably go in phases there's like metaverse style experiences which is what we'll see today it's like fragments of these um, projects that give you an idea of what may what the future may look like, and then we have the actual metaverse, which is probably something fundamentally different to many people's assumption on it. It's, it I think it's it's probably this network of different virtual worlds. Um, you know, again, in my in my interpretation of it, it's Facebook have their own virtual world. Roblox has one. Fortnite has one. Pixelinks has one. And in some cases, some of these worlds will will be will work together and there may be integrations where you know if i buy something in this world i could use it in another one but again these are still sure. very very far away concepts that haven't so, been so in the meantime do you think that stage, it's but, kind yeah. of plausible as i was watching this i was thinking about you know will artists you know let's say i'm on tour and I'm going to play LA, I'm going to play Toronto, I'm going to play Fortnite, I'm going to play Roblox, I'm going to play Pixelinks. Um, you know, is that kind of what could kind of come of this? Because, you know, artists touring around different metaverse platforms uh, and, and performing alongside their kind of real world instantiations. Absolutely. I think it's a really good reference because, you know, it's what happens in the real world. And, and I think actually looking at these virtual worlds, like the same way as a, an artist looks at a venue or, or, or an arena, um, is, is probably a logical comparison. The challenge has always been about the timeline to produce the content. You know, it's easier to just ship yourself as a physical person to go do a show in all of these different places. But if you need to spend eight months designing your Roblox show and then another eight months designing your specific Fortnite show, there may be challenges there about scalability. But I think absolutely you, you will see artists kind of performing across different ecosystems and, and Dead Mouse has done it. Um, you know, last year we, we did a few different performances across different virtual worlds and we'll do the same thing this year and, you know, experiment with, um, you know, how, how that works and, and how it looks. Mm -hmm. Now, you, you, you threw out a number there, an eight-figure take from that one live performance. Was that the Travis Scott one? Were you? That, so that was a Lil Nas X one. Oh, the Lil Nas uh, X and this one. Was, and this was something that someone from Warner said on a panel. So, you know, it's not necessarily like a documented piece of information, but it's also very believable because uh, we've seen another event that took place, a major festival hosted a virtual concert inside 
um, a game engine as well. And they made $23 million in, in 24 hours uh, from that experience. So you, you kind of get a, a, an idea on, you know, the kinds of numbers that were, were, were possible. Yeah. How, and how, how do you think that would break down in terms of kind of revenue line items? I mean, there you pay, mm. you pay to attend and then are you buying skins and buying dances and things like that? Like, digital, yeah, I think it varies. Yeah. Yeah, it varies, but depending on the platform, I think, you know, like the Roblox and Fortnites, um, you know, those are, are more accessible and, and you're, you're really monetizing the in-game assets. Um, the one that I referenced, the festival, you'd actually buy a ticket to the event. So it was a $30 ticket, I believe. And then there was no other monetization. So where it's interesting to see actually two routes potentially, you know, existing there, one which is on the ticket sales and then the other which is on the in-game assets that are sold. Mm -hmm. And so that was the Glastonbury one that you were referencing? No, it was a Tomorrowland. Oh, Tomorrowland. And so the I, I was curious about the Glastonbury one. Would that take place then? Dur so it's kind of a hybrid event. So it's taking place while the live festival is happening and then taking place in, I think you mentioned Sansar, which is one of these you know, metaverse platforms. I think it's the creators of Second Life actually mm -hmm. who, who built Sansar. Mm -hmm. and, and so it's kind of this hybrid attend in real life, you know, attend in the metaverse. You're getting it. I think, yeah. I think that's coming. Um, the, the Glastonbury one was um, developed in a short space of time because of COVID and, and essentially saying, okay, well, we can't put this physical event on. Is there a way for us to still maintain some level of community engagement and, and do something interesting? And so, the that uh, like many of the projects that were launched over the last two years they were kind of seen as um alternatives because there was no physical event but i think absolutely what you mentioned about this hybrid format i think will 100 be a, a part of a, a future many artists start designing around and we will see platforms even stuff that we're developing that will allow artists to be able to have yeah. both of these running at, at the same time mm -hmm. that's it it's interesting i think that the metaverse and and you know gaming blurring that lines with the gaming world just makes so much more sense to me than in the early days of, uh, of Oculus. Even I played around with a couple of more dedicated music platforms where you would go and you would watch a concert and you know, it was, it wasn't really that immersive. Like they were just basically had set up a 360 camera in front of the concert and it wasn't anywhere close to kind of recreating the real experience. And in fact, I didn't even find it that comfortable. I'd find, I'd rather just watch it on a 2d screen when, if you're just kind of watching the, you know, the, the, um, uh, and, and, and whether it's live or not almost didn't matter, right? Like you may as well just be watching a recording of it. It's not like you got any kind of live feel out of it. Well, I think Ender, you mentioned, you mentioned one, I guess, kind of key part to what kind of gave you the idea or spark for the original project, which was interactivity. And if if all I'm doing is have a headset on my on my head, and I'm kind of watching a movie of a concert playing. Well, that's not really interactive per se. Right. And and I think that trying to replicate the current world of concerts in in a virtual world, my guess is that you're going to just come up a little short and it's not going to be compelling. And and that I think what you're kind of insinuating is that you know we have to sort of create something new not necessarily replicate the old right and and making this sort of interactive and fun is is kind of part of that equation is that is that accurate yeah 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 absolutely i think replicating reality into these games it seems like a um it doesn't make sense to me because the the, the potential of virtual worlds and game engines and 3d content is 
you can take people to places they've never imagined. And then, that, you know, the beauty of music being this, you know, in some ways, this very ethereal concept, you know, you can't feel music like physically, you can't see it physically. It always exists as just something that people experience and it does something to them emotionally. So there's a, there's a lot of magic in the concept of music and audio. And so when I think about like taking that musical experience to a game, I'm like, why would I want to just recreate everything that I already know? Like the music is giving me these feelings and these ideas that, you know, are so abstract and different. You can also leverage that to its advantage and take people to places that are, you know, interesting, surreal, you know, landscapes. And, and um, but again, it all depends up to the artist. Like what, what does the artist want to achieve with, with the potential? But absolutely. I think taking like a physical experience and just trying to replicate it is to, it makes no sense. I think it's just like all the, the, the canvas you have is so fundamentally different. Why would we not take advantage of, all of these new mechanics. And I think that's a, that it's very telling because most of the people who are probably creating these experiences aren't necessarily coming from a background of really caring or thinking about games. They care and think about music. And so it's fair that they want to just, they'll do what feels logical is to take the physical music experience, bring it into a game because it's, it's the way that they're, they, that the way they think about it. But if you come from a background of gaming and you know, the virtual worlds and, and some of these other ideas, even maybe into sci-fi or anything, you would probably look at it from a slightly different lens. And that's why I think most of these experiences, some of the ones that we've seen are, are just, um, you know, it's, it's like someone who's, who runs festivals and runs shows looking at it and saying, let's, let's just take that. And, and it's like, no, this, this is a fundamentally different landscape and canvas to work with. And, and you have different, mechanics that you have to optimize for you know what do players care about in the real world versus what they care about in a game is, is not the same you know there's, there's different incentives to why people participate here than why they do there in some ways there's some overlaps for sure but you know you know you can in many ways it's like very philosophical but when you're designing it you almost say that this isn't the person that i am when i'm experiencing it in this virtual world may not even be the same person that i am when i'm in the physical world so how do you like how do you think about some of these ideas when you're designing a music experience for someone to to think you know to look at in 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 a, in a physical event versus a digital one? Super interesting. Well, right now, like if you looked at that again, back to the little Nas X uh, example, it you know it I'm just guessing that Roblox put a ton of programmers on this and did a huge amount of development, and then they you know involve. Uh, Naz and obviously in the project he's performing, but he could have never done it without the help of the Roblox team who probably invested a lot of time and energy into that. You mentioned a little bit about your kind of vision for where you wanted this to go and that the artists would have maybe the capability to sort of launch something on their own without necessarily needing an army of programmers behind them. You know, can you talk a little bit about that? Like how, how might that be, walk us through how that might be possible? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a few elements to it. Like for us, democratization is really important. And so we don't want to be a platform that, you know, everything is just curated by us. We will have to do that for the first year because we're building a lot of the tools. Um, but the idea is to go more towards the UGC style mechanics. So user generated content is, is really important. And so the idea is an artist can come on board and using the tools that we have very quickly does create their brand DNA. And the brand DNA is, for us, it's made up of a few things. It could be like their artwork, it could be their color schemes, their logos, you know, just things that we would say, that's like the DNA of you as an artist. There may be keywords and phrases 
And through that process, we then go into the next stage, which is generating a world and an environment on the basis of their inputs. And so they can then start to customize and change you know, the, this, this experience uh, how they want to. Um, so we, UGC is really important and, and it's kind of, you know, the way I envision it, and of course this is still being developed, so it may come out slightly different as a final product, but you could imagine building your virtual world, like setting up a Squarespace website. Uh, you know, you, you've got the frameworks and the, guide, the kind of rails are in place to make it quite easy to get going. And then if you really wanted to, to upgrade to like the WordPress level, you can. And there's the functionality there for you to add more and to customize it more. Um, but the foundation should be relatively simple. And in order to do that, we're experimenting a lot with AI. You know, there's, there's a, without going into it, like there's something called GANs. So like these are the same algorithms used for things like deep fakes. Um, and we experiment with a lot of different um, ways to automate content production so that it's very easy for an artist to participate. Yeah, that's a, that's really amazing, and I think uh, democratization is probably the the key point because without a lot of people producing content, you know, it's going to be very difficult to get this this sort of critical mass or to scale. Um, you know, can, do you, do you have any timelines for this? Like, when are you proposing to to launch and have something that people can demonstrably see? Sure. Um... I mean, if you follow me on LinkedIn, you'll see quite a lot of stuff. I, I share um, loads of development like material as we're going, which we've we've made. You know, we're going to be even more public about it in the next month. Like our Instagram and LinkedIn will be um, really showing that whole development process. But the aim is by May we launch uh, April May the alpha uh, launches, and that's going to be uh, you know open for for people to test it. That's the mobile application, and then uh, by October. We would have launched a virtual concert and the first phase of our virtual world technology. Uh, so, you know, a lot of stuff happening this year, like in the middle of the year and then towards the end. Yeah, that's a big year. You know, we touched a little bit about economics previously, but I'm wondering if maybe you can comment a little bit more about this. You know, when you look at the gaming market, it's massive, right? It's $175 billion market, whereas music is relatively tiny in comparison, um, you know, estimated around $30 billion. You know, how do you think the metaverse might change music economics? Um, on your website, you talk a little bit about monetization through NFTs and other means, but maybe you could summarize your thoughts on the, the business model for the, the music verse. Sure. Well, it's interesting, you know, but the music industry, um, you know, has seen, has faced a, an issue many years ago with Napster. And, and they tackled that issue in a very, in like a fundamentally, like a way that was wrong. It just didn't, it didn't work because they tried to challenge the idea of digital innovation and this very obvious revolution that was taking place. And tried, the music industry tried to keep control and ownership of it. And by taking that approach has led us to this point where music does, has no value, generally speaking, you know, in terms of uh, right now as an artist, I, as a fan, I get all I can eat music for less than $10 a month. Like it, it's meaningless in terms of its actual monetary value because you, it's just, there's so much out there and it's, it's, it's infinitely explorable. And so with NFTs, we go to this different perspective where it becomes about scarcity. And so sure, not every fan is going to be a consumer, but if there's only, let's say 10,000 of these experiences, like an AR experience that an artist launches alongside their album, there's only 10,000 available to buy. You have this natural requirement for the core fans to actually want to purchase it. And so scarcity is quite an important idea in context to NFTs. It doesn't mean that everything is going to be like limited and exclusive, but 
there's one pillar there which I think is super interesting and, and we're thinking about it a lot like how does scarcity create a reason for fans to want to collect this because you know that if it's not available for your 9.99 or you can eat spotify subscription it's something that you have to go and spend ten dollars on and support the artist specifically because you like that you want this additional experience in that added narrative so i think already there's a whole new revenue stream that will open out from that and so the aim is to validate that and prove some of those ideas um but then if, when i think about it at a high level um you know we look at blockchain and nfts and the potential of blockchain and you know some of the foundational ideas is that within blockchain it's you know the, the nft is like a contract on the blockchain and that contract will state who owns the asset and it'll also state who the original owner was so it could say let's say i launch an nft it'll say 50 percent of this is owned by dead mouse and 20 percent is owned by this label and the final amount is owned by the songwriter who helped produce the piece of music behind it. So you say, great, that's information that's trackable and I can see it. Now, once that NFT is sold, the money is distributed automatically. You know, there's no need for like a, a middle layer. And so it creates an element of trust and transparency. And what's really interesting about NFTs is then you can sell things on the secondary market. So fans can also start to trade these assets within themselves. So whether that's a digital ticket for a show or a piece of digital clothing, they can trade it. And again, the blockchain already knows who the original owner was, so it can send money back to the people who originally owned it as well. So Deadmau5's 50% goes to him as part of that cut, and the 20% goes to the label and, and so on. Now, what's fascinating about those ideas is that it allows for just it allows us to think about these business models in different ways because now you don't have to wait six months for a, for a report from a from some from Spotify or from a, your merchandising company or anything, and then have to wait for your accountant to go and chop that up and actually distribute it back. It just automate it automatically uh, conducts the transaction. So, in a way, what this could do is change the way that people collaborate. It could also change the the types of terms and business deals that you would potentially produce or put together because there's trust with the blockchain. There's just this natural idea that I can see this information. I don't need to trust you to give me a report. I can literally log on and see how many of those items have been sold. And so I know how much I'm due. And so these, these are all these, you know, interesting ideas. They will then potentially change the, the types of deals that labels and artists are able to, um, to, to basically secure because there's an element of transparency and trust that already is baked into it. So, you know. But but most likely what I'm hearing is that you think it's sort of a new revenue stream. So like if I'm uh, if I'm dead mouse, I'm still gonna get my Spotify streaming money. Mm -hmm. But in addition to that, I could be selling some NFT of my augmented reality game or experience in some way, similar to like NBA Top Shots is selling kind of NFTs of videos of mm -hmm. people dunking and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. But I think it also it opens up a revenue stream on that level. But there's, I think the potential of blockchain goes so much beyond there. And it's it's one of these things where it's it's hypothetical at the moment because there's a lot of exploration. But you start to think about, you know, I I, I view NFTs as a key, so rather than viewing them as this like digital asset, like an AR experience. I view it as a key to unlocking more content and more experiences over time. So what Deadmau5 could do, just again, hypothetical, because there's hundreds of different ways to use NFTs, and that's what makes it so exciting. Deadmau5 could say, I launched this NFT, there's 10,000 of them, and the fans buy them. Six months later, he could say, you know what, everyone who owns one of my original NFTs, I'm going to airdrop you a free NFT. 
that I'm never going to sell on the marketplace. But if I know that you bought it, it's already here on this database, you automatically get one of my latest NFTs as well. And so it becomes this kind of mechanic to unlock future engagement, to unlock future utility, as we talk, call it in the blockchain space. And when we start to see these frameworks become uncovered, it will, I think, allow us to think in a very different way about monetization, about building communities and about engaging your community. And yeah, I guess you, you're together. no longer, you're no longer constrained by the legal frameworks also the business model frameworks that Spotify labels and the kind of current system implements, but that it sort of unlocks you to sort of be creative about what's possible. Completely, completely. And then that, that they're just naturally through that process, I think new business models will come out. Uh, but the, you know, the music industry is excited about blockchain in, in many ways and has been for many years. It's a very, very difficult challenge because essentially this is a hundred year old industry with antiquated infrastructure that isn't necessarily that easy to change to, to this system. So it requires a lot of openness to, to explore and to discover what, right. what this could look like. And so we, you know, the aim is hopefully we don't replicate Napster. <laughs> we don't replicate yeah. the Napster moment. That's, that's, yeah. There's so much going on right now. I mean, with Web3, it just, you know, makes, makes your head spin sometimes. So mm -hmm. I'm wondering, you know, say I'm a fan and I just want to get a sense of what this is all about. Where's the first place that I should go exploring in the music verse? So the music verse, I mean, for us, it's not, our, our platform obviously launches in April, but if I was a fan and say the metaverse in general, I would probably go to Fortnite, of course, you know, ex, the, the leaders and, and, you know, the most iconic company in this space. There's no doubt it doesn't matter, doesn't matter in, in the context of what the real metaverse is and the companies building it. And like, it, I think Unreal, and Epic are the true like creators of what this new reality might look like. And, and they've, they've, they've always proven to be ahead of the curve, I think, with some of their ideas of the, over the last few years. Tim Sweeney's a, a genius. So I would say Fortnite, for sure, one of, the, one of the right places to check out. But then I'd also say, go look into Sandbox. You know, the Sandbox is a game that's been launched by the team at Animoca Brands. And, and it's a very interesting place to explore because there's it's you know there's elements of like minecraft in there and roblox you know in terms of like the way that you build and create but it also has this idea of virtual economies and this is kind of touching on our conversation about business models the metaverse is rooted in multiple different ideas but the concept of a virtual economy is very important to it and the idea that you can buy digital land and sell it or you could buy a, a skin and also sell it Ownership is so fundamental to many people's idea of what the metaverse is. And ownership over digital assets essentially is, is what we're talking about. So the sandbox is an interesting one because there you can build, you can buy land, you can rent land potentially, you can create assets, and then you can sell these assets on secondary marketplaces. You can buy assets from other people and sell them on secondary marketplaces, and you can play games. And so there's a very interesting framework of thinking within this platform that allows you to play it allows you to create, and it also allows you to earn if you really wanted to. And I think that there's, there's many concepts that the Sandbox and a few other companies are developing that will help guide the thinking about what the metaverse will look like. And so, you know, when we think about the music metaverse, really we're building on the ideas of companies like Sandbox and then, you know, ideas of companies like Fortnite and projects like that. And, and we have our own take on it, but the fundamentals of ownership 
and virtual economies are, are really, really important. And those aren't going to change regardless of what platform you go to. I think they will end up becoming these foundational truths of, of the metaverse as a whole. Really cool. Very cool. Exciting times ahead for sure. So uh, Inder, now's that time in the podcast when we ask our guest for a music recommendation. Do you have a pick for us? A song. A song. Yeah. Oh, this is that's such a hard one because, you know, I'm. Let me see. Let me see. You what, can you can pick you can pick an artist if you want, and we'll uh, we'll pick a song. We just like to add it. We have a guest yeah. recommendation playlist. It's, I mean, it's a great one because this is the kind of thing that I would I could spend hours just you know thinking about. <laughs> but I would say right now, Flying Lotus is probably Flying Lotus. I'm going to give two if that's okay. But Flying Lotus, one just because he's a he's a genius and and I. I've always been a huge fan of everything that he does. And then the other is uh, a, a band called Who Made Who, which I think are also really interesting, both slightly different. One of them much more electronic and, and kind of indie. And then Flying Lotus is, is kind of the trip hop, um, you know, again, still a very, very across multiple genres with jazz and, and many others, but Flying Lotus is, is up there for sure. And we, we, I was just talking about, talking about him an hour ago. So he's the first one that came to my mind. Cool. Cool pick. All right. And if listeners want to follow you or your work, where should they go? Uh, so to follow, uh, you know, to follow the company is the most important um, thing to follow, I think, generally. So you can go to the Pixelinks website. That's P-I-X-E-L-Y-N-X dot I-O. Uh, and then you can follow me. Uh, LinkedIn is probably where I'm most active. Um, I share a lot of content about the space and, and what we're building. And so, yeah, my LinkedIn is, is just my name. <laughs> Great. We'll put links in the show notes to those as well. And uh, Inder, thanks so much for being on the show. That was a really fascinating conversation. Thank you. No, it's a pleasure to, to be here. Thank you. You've been listening to Beat Seeker with your hosts, Matt McButter and Mike Wider. If you like the show, go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. While you're there, leave us a rating and a comment and share it with your friends and colleagues. If you want to dig deeper into this content, visit beatseeker.fm. That's B-E-A-T seeker.fm. And if you want to be part of the show, check out our Patreon link. Interact with us on social media at BeatSeekerPod. BeatSeeker is recorded in the Devil Lake Studios and the Tunnel Under Arundel. The show is produced by Matt McButter, Mike Wider, and Kate McCartney. Tim Ratledge is our editor. Thanks for tuning in and keep seeking. <laughs>